Welcome to Prevention Is Now. I'm Deb Bonner, preventionist and community advocate for Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault in Springfield, Illinois. Consent education remains a focus of primary sexual violence prevention. Teaching consent does tie into the CDC's Stop SV technical package as part of teaching safe dating and intimate relationship skills. However, the question remains, when should professionals start teaching consent and what does consent really look like? Some experts feel that waiting until college is too late to start and national statistics would support that idea with an estimated 31% of teenage girls experiencing sexual assault or violence. In 2019, Illinois passed a law, the first of its kind in the Midwest, requiring schools to have age-appropriate discussions about consent starting in the sixth grade. But even before that, in 2013, then-Governor Pat Quinn signed Aaron's Law into being, which requires all Illinois schools to provide child sexual abuse prevention education for students each year starting as young as pre-K. There is growing support for the idea that consent education should start with very young children. And obviously, when we are talking with children as young as four or five, the consent discussion is going to be considerably different than that of the same conversation with kids in high school or even middle school. So to talk about consent education for younger children is Sarah Casper. She is our guest today, and she is the consent educator and founder of Comprehensive Consent, a brand devoted to helping parents give their children the foundational understanding of body boundaries and the practical consent skills that we all need to create healthy relationships with ourselves and others throughout their life. Sarah's work is informed by her education and experience in the fields of child psychology and social psychology, as well as her experience in acro yoga as a protect, uh, as a practitioner. So, Sarah, welcome. And before we get into the topic at hand, what is acro yoga, and how did that lead you to teaching consent? Hi, Deb. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, yeah, that's not usually what people are expecting to hear when they learn that I'm a consent educator. Um, so acro yoga is an acrobatic practice where two people are using their bodies to create a flow as opposed to an apparatus like trapeze or aerial silk. And within this practice, there is so much navigating bodies and body boundaries because that's what you need to do to make it successful. So while I do have, you know, a more formal education in uh, child psychology and child development, So much of what I teach is informed by this concept that consent doesn't need to be taught as something that's related to sex. And I think that's so important because I I know personally when they started talking about wanting to teach sex education and consent to young children here in Illinois, the people who started panicking, just making the assumption that we were going to be talking about point A going into point B and how, how dare you talk to kids as young as six about things like that. There is a lot of concern, but it can be as simple as teaching kids about consent, about playing with their toys or anything like that. That's exactly right. It's about uh, kind of assert your, it's about teaching kids to assert their boundaries, to listen to one another, to have empathy for how the other person is feeling, to start to maybe even notice some body language things, having nothing to do with private areas or with legal consent. So at what age do you think consent should be taught to children? Informally, since the day that they're born. So parents are responsible for a number of things, for everything with their children, especially their young ones. But they can still practice modeling consent by when they're changing their diaper, saying, I'm going to lift your legs and then lifting their legs. So so that kids aren't feeling they're objects just to be manipulated and they don't have a voice as kids start to be able to be more verbal or uh, 
communicate more clearly non-verbally, you can have them, you know, be included in some decision and realize that their voice is heard because that's such a big piece of this is you have a voice and your voice is important. So in terms of an informal education since the day that they're born, in terms of something more formal, I think kindergarten, K through 12. How do you start getting into the more intimate parts of consent? I mean, as, as they get older, when do you start introducing those parts of consent? When they start asking about them. It's kind of how I would pro- approach most things when it comes to sex is when they start asking, like, why does yours look different than theirs? You know, then you ask, why are you asking that? What in like, where is this coming from? And the conversation just kind of normally develops. No one should be able to grab my my shoulders while I'm in the supermarket. Just like no one should be able to grab my genitals and the risks, the, the stakes are different. But really, the conversation is the same. So as we're teaching kids about consent, and I've had this conversation with other uh, consent experts, you know, we'll say, go give Aunt Betty a hug or a kiss, and the kids don't want to. But we say, "Mm, you need to do this. This is family. You have to give me a hug. We have to hug and make up. So is consent education just as much about teaching parents as it is teaching their kids? 100%. Most of what I do, I have currently, especially with the pandemic, I have very little time where I'm actually child facing. Most of it is with the parents because the parents, no one, you don't need to, you know, pass a parenting course in order to have a child. So a lot of parents are going based on what was modeled to them and and maybe some books as well. Uh, But there are a lot of topics out there. There are a lot of books out there. There's a lot of knowledge that goes with parenting skills. And that's the thing is that parenting is a skill. It's you need to learn certain things along the way. So, so much of it is teaching parents also how they behave, how, what actions they take now, how it impacts their kids now and in the future. And also teaching a lot of parents how to help their kids set boundaries or set boundaries on behalf of their children, because that's something that they never learned either. So when we talk about teaching consent to kids, there's a belief by some that we don't even really need to worry about this until the kids are sexually active or at least thinking about becoming sexually active. Why do they have to need to know all of this before then? I mean, we've talked a little bit about boundary setting, but really when push comes to shove, why do we need to talk about consent as it relates to sex until they're actually at that point? Yeah, and this, this that's a great question, and it reminds me of the idea that we have a very heteronormative kind of old school idea of like sex equals penis and vagina penetration, and that's not true, right? Kissing someone without their consent is a form of sexual assault, and so where you draw the line of what's sexual and what isn't isn't clear for everyone, definitely not for children, and so to say consent is only important for sex isn't really giving any information. It's your body. Your body is yours. You have the right to make decisions about it, whether it's sexual touch, whether it's a hug from your teacher, a kiss from your friend, playing doctor with your friend, your body is yours. So it really, and and that's something that, again, like if you think back to like acro yoga, if someone just put me in a pose that I wasn't okay with, that would not feel good for my body. And so I have to learn to communicate my boundaries. And it's a... It's a relationship skill. It's not a sex skill. 
Okay, <laughs> that makes sense in those terms. Now, in one of your blogs, you, you talk about how consent education should be taught using a social-emotional learning framework. And we talk about this a lot in prevention. And again, the CDC talks about teaching in SEL form. So first, can you expand a little bit on what SEL is and then how you would apply that to your consent education? Yeah. Um, SEL is based on social learning theory, which talks about um, modeling behaviors and also uh, repetition of behaviors, reflection and feedback. And so, as I said before, a lot of this is relationship skills. So you're not going to be good at it the first time. So you need to practice it. So SEL in general is social emotional learning skills that are categorized into five kind of sections, social management, self-management, self-awareness, social awareness and relationship skills. I'm pretty sure that's right. I might be getting one of them wrong. Uh, but you get the vibe when you hear that. You're like, oh, how does my person impact the other person? And how do persons together impact each other? And, and so you learn things like listening skills, conflict resolution, and that's all part of consent as well. And so it's reminding us, teaching consent in terms of social emotional learning is a framework that allows kids, teachers, parents to understand that it takes time to build these skills. And especially when it comes to the body, because the body is something that has so historically been considered shameful and not to be talked about and ignored that you need a specific, I I really believe you need a specific focus on how do you communicate about the body? How do you listen to someone talking about their body and validate their experience? How do you ask a question? How do you get specific about the body without, you know, or not without giggling, but working through the giggles um, and doing that exactly how they teach it in SEL, which is an evidence-based learning modality, practicing it, reflecting on, oh, how did that go? What did I do well? What didn't I do well? Getting feedback perhaps from a teacher or from a parent of, I might have done it this way, or I like that you did this. Um, And it really helps kids fine tune their decision-making skills because at the end of the day, that's what they need because no two relationship interactions will ever be the same. No, no two interpersonal interactions will ever be the same. And I think with children, I, especially young children, when we're, we're teaching things like consent and boundary setting, their impulse control just isn't there yet because as a small child, I want that. And that's, that's the thought in the brain that's the action that it follows through on. So is part of that getting that impulse control under control or is it just redirecting? It's both. You know, you can't rush the process. That doesn't, you know, rush their brain development, but it does, it does um, set up the processes of recognizing what you did, realizing was that a good choice or maybe not so good choice, holding yourself kind of accountable and very kind terms by saying, you know, oops, sorry, I, I, I did it too quickly. And, and practicing all those things that we want to exist for consent in the future. Because while children are have, you know, the hardest time with impulse control because of their prefrontal cortices aren't developed, adults also have issues with that. You know, we're all, we are going to make mistakes when it comes to consent. We just want to make sure that we're holding ourselves accountable and that the mistakes aren't big mistakes and they're not happening often. We're speaking with Sarah Casper. Uh, She's the consent educator and founder of Comprehensive Consent. And there's not really sufficient evidence for this yet, but there has been some anecdotal evidence that suggests that children who have been taught about their bodies, know the proper names, how to set boundaries, are less appealing 
for lack of a better word, to predators and could in turn help keep them safe. Uh, why is that? That's because of, uh, like I said before, confidence about talking about the body and not being shamed about it. So a, a lot of the reasons that, um, as, as from my understanding, that survivors sometimes don't speak out about it is because they feel like shame and that it was their fault and that and that they did something wrong. But if a child is confident in saying, like, this is my body part, just like my elbow, I would tell my mom if my elbow got hurt, I can tell my mom if my genitals got hurt or were touched in a way I didn't like. And predators can tell if, a, if, if they are going to get caught, essentially. And so having them be confident, A, can, you know, kind of deter the person from what they were going to maybe do. And, and B, it makes them more likely once they start hearing the word like penis, vulva, they're less likely to continue. And then the last is they're more likely, it's more likely to be reported. Now, you offer a boundary-setting boot camp for parents and kids, and one of the things you say kids will learn is the deeper meaning of affirmative consent. So what are you talking about there? So affirmative consent, in short, is yes means yes, which is a model we've moved to rather than no means no. And uh, there are, I've heard, I don't know if they still exist, but there are some apps that college kids will log on and, like, affirmative consent to to sex with this person and like click an I agree button. And it's like, that's not the meaning of affirmative consent. That's very, um, that's still speaking in very legal terms where consent is a relational practice. Um, And so the deeper meaning of affirmative consent is that you are hearing a yes multiple times along the way. So it's not just a, they said yes, rather than silence or a maybe or a no, but it's, is the deeper meaning of affirmative consent is that they're continuing to affirm that this is something that they're enjoying. How much is body language going to play into that? Because so much of our communication is nonverbal, but that also leaves an awful lot of room for misinterpretation. So how, how are you going to navigate those waters? Conversations about body language, I would say. The first is uh, like conversations about body language. Like, by the way, sometimes I giggle, and that's where self-awareness comes in. Sometimes I giggle when I'm uncomfortable. So if I'm giggling, let's maybe check in and saying that kind of ahead of time or knowing that giggling sometimes doesn't always mean that they're having a good time, but giggling can mean that they're nervous. And another big piece of this is our body language of not one specific cue, but are, are they reciprocating? Right. Or, or is it person A is acting on person B or is it, person A and person B are interacting together. And if body language is maybe questionable, checking in. When we think about teaching consent, a lot of times people tend to focus on who is either granting or denying the consent, not as much on the person who's on the receiving end of the message. We talked a little bit about this or kind of hinted at it when we were talking about impulse control. Now, particularly when we are talking about sexual violence prevention, teaching someone to handle rejection is equally important. How are you going to address this in your courses? Yes, Uh, I I think we don't talk enough about the fact that hearing a no is really hard. And we are, there is this culture of persistence and, and go get them and never back down. And so you're not really, as when I was a child, I wasn't taught how to handle rejection. I was taught to defy rejection and to try harder. Um, So it's really about nurturing this idea that a rejection isn't a rejection of you as a person. 
is it is a rejection of that one situation and more likely has to do or has to do equally with them as it does you. So really teaching kids when they're rejected from, they don't get invited to the sleepover or um, their sibling doesn't want to play with them. Talking through coping skills there, talking through also both what do you say to the person who quote unquote rejected you in the moment? And then what, how can you cope with the deeper feelings afterwards? Right, because coping mechanism could be crying, but you don't want to cry in front of the person necessarily that just rejected you. Um, so it's kind of navigating that balance, and again, brings it back to why it's so important to start young. Because if the first time you have to deal with handling rejection in a emotionally competent way is when you're 18 and in a sexual situation, that's too late to be like a trial and error. You need to have practiced this before. Now, going back to the CDC's Stop SV technical package, it talks about teaching empowerment-based training as one way to help prevent sexual violence. Would you consider consent education as empowerment-based? Why or why not? 100%, especially speaking as a woman, the idea that I, if I want something, I can ask for it too. And if I don't want something, I have the power to speak out about that. And I am not, I am not an object to be used to satisfy a man, which is honestly some of the the subtle messages that I got. And I think so many of us got as a child. So it's not, it's not a, um, a be scared of consent model of teaching and consent in the way that I've seen it mostly. It's a empowerment of speak up for what feels good in your body and speak up for what you want. And when you make a mistake, also it's empowering to say, I made a mistake and I'm going to try to do better. Sarah Cosper, founder of Comprehensive Learning, is with us today. And uh, we're just about out of time. Is there anything else you want to add before we start to wrap things up? We've covered a lot here. It's basically consent does not need to have to do with sex. It does not even have to need to do with um, hugs and kisses. It can just be, it can be about cuddling on the couch and um, high fives and handshakes. It can start when a child is an infant. Yeah, I think, I feel like I'm repeating things we just said. We covered a lot. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I think the big thing that we're trying to get through to people is that it is ongoing. Because so many times people think, well, we can check that off. I did it once. I'm a master. But it is such a, a an ongoing, like you said earlier, it's a skill that you have to practice continually. That's exactly right. Sarah, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. This has been Prevention Is Now. I'm Deb Bonner, preventionist and community advocate for Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault. If you would like more information on this episode or have questions about it, you may call our offices at 217-744-2560 or send me an email at dbonner at prairiecasa.org. Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault supports children and adult survivors of sexual violence through counseling and legal and medical advocacy in 11 central Illinois counties. Prairie Center offers coaching boys into men for male high school and college athletes, bringing in the bystander training for college campuses and sexual harassment prevention training for businesses and organizations in our area. Our main office is located in Springfield, Illinois, with satellite offices in Jacksonville and Taylorville, Illinois. And you can find out more about the services we offer at our website at prairiecasa.org. This program is supported by a grant from the Illinois Department of Public Health and the Illinois Coalition Against Sexual Assault. Points of view or opinions contained in this program are those of Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault and our guests and do not necessarily reflect on the official positions or policies of these grantors. Thank you for listening.